we can probably all remember back to our days as teenagers growing up at home. For some of us, it's a bigger challenge than others to remember back that far. And some of you who are teenagers right now, of course, are in the immediate experience of that. But it seems like when you're a teenager that uh, your parents' favorite word is no. Right? No. I can remember my dad. I mean, uh, no. No, when I wanted, and I was, I was one of those kids that was really bad to always say, well, why? Well, why? And I would frustrate him and hound him with that, and, and, uh, finally he would say, because I said so. You know, I don't, I, I don't fault him for having said that too often, but sometimes under the intense frustration of a kid who keeps coming back, why? Why not? I can remember him also saying, no is an answer. In other words, I've already answered that question. The answer is no, you can't do that. I remember him saying that so often. As we grow older, as we mature, we realize the value of those no's that we got from our parents. Uh, in fact, as we have our own kids, we end up doing the same thing. We frequently have to tell our kids no, and, and because I said so, and no is an answer. And so... Everything sort of comes around full circle as we grow older. But certainly parents have to say no, uh, and they try to do that in their children's best interest, I'm sure. Unfortunately, some people see God in that role of a parent who is always saying no. God is just someone who says no all the time. Uh, he levies out heavy burdens to bear, endless restrictions that, uh, about things we can do, God is just mean-spirited toward us. That's the view I think a lot of people have. I read of a, a, a sort of a quiz or questionnaire that was given to some school children as to who they thought God was and their description of God. And one schoolboy said, God is someone sitting up in heaven trying to find someone having a good time and then putting an end to it. Isn't that a sad thing? How unfortunate that people would actually have that view of God. Even school children might have that view of God. That, of course, absolutely is not true. When you start to think about it, God has left us remarkably free uh, to do as we please. Uh, we have all kinds of liberty, all kinds of freedom to choose. Think of the possibilities that you have, even this very day. Think of all the possibilities laid out before you. When we finish this worship service here in just a little while, uh, what are you going to do after that? I mean, there's just a, a, a limitless uh, array of possibilities of activities that you could engage yourself in on this very day. The truth of the matter is God's restrictions upon us are really very few and minimal. And I hope that we'll be able to point, in our, point out in our lesson this morning that what God has restricted us from is actually in our own best interest. But God is a good God, a loving God, a gracious God, and He has given us much freedom to act. And, and the view of Him that says He's just mean and He's trying to keep us from having any fun. What a sad and mistaken idea of God. We want to talk a little bit more about that in our lesson this morning. Thank you for being here on this Lord's Day. We're so grateful that you're here. We're glad that we have this chance to come together to worship God. And we pray above all else that He will be glorified by what we do here today. And so as we engage in this worship, as we try to worship Him in the manner and method described in His Word, we pray He will receive that and be glorified. But we also hope that each of us will be 
built up, edified, encouraged by the time that we spend together today. As Lee already said in the announcements, if you have any questions at all about what you see or hear today, please ask them, and we'd be glad to sit down with the Bible and study with you about any questions you have. Thank you for being here today. People who think God is too restrictive, think that God has got hard rules uh, and He's just trying to keep us from having fun, you know, that's actually not a new false idea. It's a false idea, but it's not a new one. You know, when we consider Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve all, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, remember they had the perfect condition, ideal conditions for man's existence in the Garden of Eden, and there was actually just one prohibition. You know it well. In Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 9, and out of the ground God made, out, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou mayest not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now there's the restriction that God placed upon them. Go back to that. You can have all the trees. There are all kinds of trees out there. And you can have them all. There's just one that you can't eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was just that one exception to complete freedom for Adam and Eve. Yet it seems they became obsessed with that one thing. Through the deception of Satan, they became obsessed with the one thing God said that they couldn't have. In the chapter 3, beginning at verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Isn't that interesting? You can have all these trees. There's the, all the trees out there are for you. No limit, no restriction. You can have anything you want except that one. And that one thing that they were restricted from became what they were obsessed with. And of course, all of that was based upon a terrible lie from Satan that Eve believed and the sin resulted. I think people are still thinking that same way. So what we're saying is this notion that God is just real restrictive of us that He won't let us have any fun, that He won't let us have any enjoyment, He just puts hard rules on us to see if we can live by them. That attitude, apparently, goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Some see God that way even today. Now, with that false view in mind, I want to go to our text for study this morning in 1 John chapter 5, where Britt read for us earlier. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. That's what we want to concentrate on this morning. The word grievous, as it's found there in the King James Version, means burdensome, heavy, or weighty. And John is saying that the commands of God are not that way. They are not burdensome. They're not hard or heavy or weighty. It's not difficult, the things that God has asked us to do. And God is not a tyrant, and His law is not oppressive. And that's what we really want to stress in our minds today. I really think that the religious world at large uh, fails to stress the, 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 the loving nature of God's commands, and so people have been left with the idea that all of His commands are mean and burdensome, and they are not. So God's commands are not grievous. That's our emphasis. And we've got really three simple points that we want to emphasize about His commands. 
first of all, we would point out that God's commands are always possible for us to do. They're always within our realm of capability. He's not asking us to do the impossible. What would you think of a parent, a parent of one of these little toddlers in our assembly this morning? And so here's this, here's this two-year-old, and a parent tells the two-year-old, uh, I want you to walk to Lawrenceburg and get a hundred bag pound of feed and carry it back up here and, and feed the cows. Well, you would think, what? That's, that's absolutely ridiculous. What's, how could a parent possibly expect that toddler to carry out a command like that? Obviously, no one would ever do that. We, we only ask our children, we only expect them to do what they are capable of doing. Well, if that's the way that we are as parents, we would never ask the impossible of our kids. We understand their capabilities at, at a given age, and we only ask them to do things that we believe they're capable of accomplishing. If that's the way we act as earthly parents, why would we think that our Heavenly Father would be any different than that? God is not different. He does not ask, demand, or expect the impossible. In Psalm 103, beginning verse 13, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. He knows us well. He knows our limitations. He knows our weaknesses. And he does not expect us to do what we're incapable of doing. God knows us perfectly. You know, I think all of us as parents, as our kids grow up, we think we know our kids. We, we think we know at every step along the way as they grow and mature. We think we know what they are capable of doing. And so we gear our instructions to them according to what we understand as their maturity level and their ability level. But as, as earthly parents, we might be a little flawed. Maybe we expect more of them than they're capable of. Or what I'm really afraid of is sometimes we don't expect enough of them. They're capable of more and we don't put it upon them. So human parents may not know their kids perfectly, but our Heavenly Father does know us perfectly and He is not putting upon us more than we're able to bear. And in fact, the Scriptures say He is with us as we seek to do His will. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. He's with us as we attempt to do His work. In chapter 4, verse 13 of Philippians, Paul would say, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And so, our first simple point about the commands of God, and we're stressing this, not impossible, it's not some grievous, burdensome load that He's put upon us, Everything that God expects of us, we're capable of doing. His commands are possible. Secondly, I would stress that the commands of God are also understandable. If we were to go back to that case of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, remember as Satan came to them and asked them about what they could and couldn't do, it's clear that Eve understood. She said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Did Eve have any trouble understanding the rules? She understood them perfectly, didn't she? She could recite them back to Satan. And so it was not a problem of understanding. Now, they didn't do what they were supposed to do, but it wasn't because they didn't understand the rules. God makes His rules understandable. We could look at other Old Testament examples. We won't take time to read them, but you, we've recently been studying 
uh, about the life of Abraham. And coming up in, in our discussion, we're going to talk about when God asked Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a command. Now, that was a hard thing, to be sure. Very difficult to carry out. We'll study about Abraham and his faith that led him to do as God instructed. But again, even though that was a difficult thing, Abraham understood what God was asking him to do and proceeded to carry that out. Or we could talk about Moses. When in Exodus chapters 3 and 4, God told Moses, you go to Pharaoh and you tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses initially was very hesitant about that and offered a a lot of excuses as to why he wasn't the man for the job. But the fact was, he didn't lack understanding. He knew what was expected. He knew what God wanted him to do. And you just go all through the Scripture, and you're going to find that that's the case. God tells people what to do, and he puts it in terms that they're capable of understanding. Let me ask you a question. Can you make people understand you when you talk? Well, we think we can, right? Uh, If you're trying to convey a message to someone, can you make them understand that message? Well, sure. How do you do it? By using words, right? By using words, you express yourself in a way so as to be understood. Well, if we can do that, if we can use human speech and human hands to make people understand what we want, then why would we think that that'd be any different with God? If we can use language to express ourselves to be understood, why would we imagine that God is not capable of doing that? God is capable. And everything that He wants us to do, we're capable of understanding. In in Psalm 119, verse 130, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. Notice that last expression especially, giveth understanding to the simple. You don't have to be, as we sometimes say, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be a brain surgeon to understand the Bible. The Bible gives understanding to the simple. We're studying on Sunday morning in Ephesians and a, and a text that's coming up immediately. We'll probably talk about this next week. Paul talks about how he received revelation. Notice, Ephesians 3, beginning verse 3. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Very simple process of inspiration there that Paul's describing. God gave this to Paul by inspiration. Paul wrote it down. We read what he wrote and we understand. It's not, a, it's not impossible. It's not an impossible process. We can understand. In fact, in Ephesians 5 verse 17, we're actually commanded to understand. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. I think that that's a really simple statement right there. But think about it. God commands us to understand His will. Well, what's that say about His will? It says His will is understandable, right? He, he wouldn't, in His very nature, command us to do something that we're not capable of doing. And so we can understand. God's commands are always possible to be carried out and understandable. We can know what He wants us to do. But finally... Let me point out that God's commands are always gracious. When I say that God's commands are gracious, what I'm really emphasizing here is that His commands are not for His sake, but rather for our sake. That what He tells us to do, He tells us to do because He wants what's best for us. Now, we can't always claim that. Uh, Even as parents, we can't always claim that. Sometimes, 
as parents, I think we must confess that maybe we tell our kids to do something or not do something because of our selfishness. Maybe we don't want to expend ourselves. Maybe we want to be left alone. Uh, and so we tell them, no, don't do, you can't do that, or go there, do that, get out of my hair. And, and maybe my command to my kid is because I selfishly want to be left alone or, or something of that nature. So sometimes, although parents, I think, by and large, and in the vast majority of time, parents are, are instructing their kids for the kids' well-being, you'd have to admit that sometimes as parents, maybe we get a little selfish and, and uh, uh, we're we not doing it because of their best interest, but because of our selfish interest. But in the case of God, that's never so. God needs nothing from us. Therefore, he would never command so that he might selfishly be gratified by our carrying out the command because he doesn't need anything from us. When Paul was preaching to the idol worshipers in Athens, he said in Acts 17, beginning verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. God doesn't need anything from us. And so it's it simply, you just have to take this off the table, any argument that he commands us because of something he wants or he needs from us. That's just not the case. He doesn't need anything from us. That being the case, then everything that he has done, everything that he continues to do, everything that he commands of us is for our well-being. The scriptures often emphasize this. Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, as he was giving his final instructions to the children of Israel, said in Deuteronomy 6, verse 24, The Lord commanded us to do these things. The Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Notice the emphasis that Moses was making. God told us to do it. Why did he tell us to do it? Because it was for our good. In chapter 10 of Deuteronomy, beginning verse 12, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Emphasis again. Moses said, all these rules, all these statutes are out there because God wants your well-being. It's in your interest. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, the prophet says, I know the plans, speaking on behalf of God, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. So God knows. He knows what's in our best interest. And, and what he wants for us is for our welfare, for our good. Not to hurt us, not to, not to cause calamity, not to keep us from enjoying life, not to keep us from having fun. He, he has plans for our welfare to give us a future and a hope. So what do you think about God? What do you think about his commands? Remember that schoolboy who apparently had the view of God in which he's just up there just kind of scanning, you know. Oh, wait a minute. There's somebody having fun. i got to put a stop to that. No, that's just absolutely the wrong picture of God. Uh, he's not oppressive. And if you have that idea that his rules are intended to keep you from enjoying life or having fulfillment or satisfaction, killing your joy, you've got the wrong impression. You know, really, I believe that our own human experience ought to teach us that 
living the way God says is for our good. Think about that for just a minute, if you will. All of us know people who have lived lives after the manner of the world, and it's brought great heartache and hurt and harm. Uh, families have been broken up. Uh, marriages have been broken. Children have suffered. All kind of heartache and calamity have come upon people that we know. And when you stop and think about it, you realize that a lot of, a lot of that has resulted because people chose not to live the way God said. On the other hand, all of us have known people who we really admire, Christians who've lived faithful lives, and you can just see that their lives have been blessed by living the way God said. Uh, healthy marriages, happy, prosperous children, uh, you know, good in every regard comes into their lives because they're living the way God says to live. So what I'm saying, and now that I, I don't believe that that's without exception. Sometimes good people suffer, and we understand that. But I'm just saying that in our own human experience, I think we could say clearly, we see that people who live like God says are, are blessed by it and people who don't suffer because of it, right? That's our own human experience. But certainly, uh, the Word of God teaches us that as well. Uh, God's commands are possible, understandable, and gracious to us. And so, we, sent, we, we will end with just a simple question. With this being true, our question to you is, will you live for God today? Will you submit to His commands? Will you obey His instruction? They are for your good. For those of you who are not yet Christians, but who are old enough and capable of understanding His will, we simply ask, will you submit to Him for your good? Will you humbly confess your faith in Jesus? Repent of your past sins. Confess your faith. Be baptized for the remission of sins. We're ready to assist you in that obedience, to make you a child of God, forgiven of past sins and with heaven in eternity as your hope. If you're subject to that invitation, we hope you'll respond today. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away and you know that in your life you've not been living the way God would have you to live, we beg you to come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song. We will follow Jesus, and